When Bumika was 11, she realized the power of a human smile. And she wrote a poem about it. Smiling is an infectious disease. (laughs) It catches you like a flu. Today when someone smiled at me, I started smiling too. I just went around with it when I saw a man grin. And suddenly I realized I had passed it to him. So remember, when you see a smile begin, let's start an epidemic quick. And get the world infected. Thank you. That's Bumika acknowledging the viral nature of smiles. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? It is very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Toronto, we have an angsty live journal, a pinball wizard, and a menstruation detective. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Each episode, I say that our show is about the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. And when it comes to awkward, puberty is right there at the top of the list. Our next reader, Jocelyn, shared two journal entries from when she was 14. The first was written before she got her period, and the second, afterwards. Okay, April 12th, Monday afternoon. Rachel really knows how to insult me and make me upset and mad. Already today, she's made two comments of my dysfunctional period, (laughs) a.k.a. lack thereof. God. I didn't choose to not have my period. And it already makes me embarrassed every single day and whenever somebody mentions their monthly cramps. I don't need Rachel, my sister, the person who loves me so much, my dearest friend who tells me all her secrets, almost, making me feel like crying because I don't have my period yet. It's not like I don't want it. Every single time I go to the bathroom or change, I look hoping against hope that my period has come and my embarrassment is over. (laughs) Every time I get a stomach ache, I hope that it's my period. (laughs) I've been 14 for two months and no period. Why? I should see a doctor. But I don't want anyone in my town to know. And now, a few months later, May 6th. I hate all this mother-daughter crap. I'm sitting on the counter, and Mum's smiling at me in a certain smile that only Rachel, I'm sure, can emphasize with me. And rubs my shoulder... And she leans in and says, can I tell daddy your big news? Does she honestly think that I think that she wouldn't tell him if I said no? I'm not stupid. 
she's going to tell him no matter what. I was just like, yeah, sure, if you really want to. <laughs> Mom is being so weird. I knew that this would happen. That's why I got my period last week, and I didn't tell her until this morning. At least now I'm all grown up. No more embarrassment, and nothing else will ever happen. Thanks. Jocelyn wasn't the only reader at our Toronto show to bring some puberty-related writing to the stage. When Chelsea was 13, she got her period, but she was too nervous and uncomfortable to talk to her mom about it. So instead of talking to her mom, Chelsea wrote her a letter. Mom, read the following without widening your eyes or shaking your head. You may not ask me any questions because I'll already have answered them at the bottom of this letter. This letter makes me feel better about writing it than saying it out loud, which I would have been too embarrassed to do, even though I shouldn't have to be because I can't help what happens or where it happens or when it happens. You probably have a good idea of what's happening. Hint, it only happens to girls in a certain part. This letter will be given back to me straight after you finish. Don't go looking through the garbage to try to tape it back up, which I could see you doing anyway. It will be hiding somewhere where no one will find it. And maybe in later, much, much later years, I could even give it to my own daughter, haha, to give back to me so she wouldn't be as embarrassed as much as I am. And now my story begins. And I drew a picture of a detective and in a speech bubble, um, this is to be read in detective talk. <laughs> well, yeah, she here, sweetheart. <laughs> it shot it yesterday night when I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I went to pull up my pants and I saw a brownish tint shade. Oh man, I thought, I poop my pants. <laughs> Wrong. At 11.17 a.m. today, I went again with new underwear and saw the same poop stain. <laughs> I thought it was a poop stain, so... I didn't think it would make much sense to come up to you and say, Mommy, I'm 13 and I poop my pants. <laughs> so I left it. <laughs> then at 4.02, I saw it again, and a little bit more this time. And it was bugging me because I know I don't poop my pants. <laughs> so I looked in that book you got me, It's a Girl Thing, and I got embarrassed. Then I wrote you this letter to tell you. I don't know if I can trust you on not telling all your friends, so don't. I wouldn't even trust my hamster not to tell, even though I haven't told him yet. Have you told anyone about the last time I told you? That was a false alarm for the both of us. 
my underwear was red to begin with. (laughs) Well, I believe I've answered all of the questions. (laughs) And if the subject is ever to be discussed, I will only talk to you if you use this magical code. The code is as follows. And I actually use some of it till the end of high school. (laughs) Sparkle equals pad. When you go to the store and you ask me if I need any pads, you must say, do you need some more sparkles? (laughs) Penguin equals pain or cramps. Are you feeling any signs of penguins? (laughs) And the yuckiest, most horrible word of all, ladybugs equals period. Are your ladybugs bothering you? Or do you want me to get some sparkles for your ladybugs? (laughs) Oh, here are some other questions I haven't answered yet. Do you need some sparkles? Yes, please. (laughs) Do you need any help? No, I would feel uncomfortable. And besides, I have my book and it is now my Bible. Well, I will not talk about this subject again until May 20th. Oh, yeah, another last question. Are you sure you've started? Positive. Don't tell by signing off, Chelsea. P.S. I am still a kid for life. Thank you. I know I have no direct first-hand experience on this matter, but if somebody could explain the relevance of the detective to me, I would appreciate that quite a lot. At the top of the show, Bumika described smiling as an infectious disease, which is a metaphor. And I know that because when I was in school, our English teacher taught us all kinds of literary devices, metaphor, allusion, imagery. And to help us understand how these literary devices worked, we had to use them in our own writing. When Benj was 18 or maybe 19, he wrote a short story. And as you'll hear, it makes extensive use of the literary device personification. Please welcome to our stage, Benj. And you should know that this was actually typed on a typewriter, for those of you who know what a typewriter was. (laughs) Super Straight, a short story. It was a beautiful romance while it lasted. It was a romance full of the joys and hope of success. And yet, it was a romance that I knew could only end in futility and despair. But when it was in bloom, when I first laid eyes upon her, I was not really impressed. (laughs) I'm sure she just looked like many others. It, It was her neighbor upon whom I was constantly calling. Slowly, though, that relationship faded into obscurity. The parting was amicable. There were a few after that. Most of them were whirlwind courtships. They were... They were, for the most part, for a while, they lasted, but nothing serious developed. Something lured me over to her. She was standing there in a usual relaxed position with her usual gaze. I introduced myself. She did not appear to be impressed. (laughs) I felt very uncomfortable standing there next to her. I was not sure what to do. I looked around the room, but there was no one interested in my pursuit. (laughs) I decided to be forward in my approach. She reacted in much the way I expected. As I slipped the quarter into her quiver, she came to life. 
Her makeup immediately increased in intensity. She spit out a ball. I thought this was not ladylike. I put the ball into play. She reacted instantly. The ball flew around at a goodly pace. It was... It, it was not nearly fast like some of the electronic models, yet it was not as slow as some of the old ladies. I went through three balls very quickly. And then another game, then another quarter. She beat me again, but I had a better run for my money. As I had reached my 50 cent limit, I decided to leave and return tomorrow. Our romance had begun. When I reached her the next day, she was frustrating some other male, which made me feel proud. When he was done, I quickly took my place at her head. I thought she was glad to see me. I immediately fed her a quarter. The first game, I was no match for her. She easily overwhelmed me, but I learned, not, I learned one of her secrets. She didn't unbalance easily. Later, she referred to this as tilting. With this secret tucked into my heart, I proceeded to match her. I lasted for 20 minutes. <laughs> Finally, she wore me down. I, t- I told her I'd be back tomorrow. For many days, I went back to play my beloved, and we had many encounters in which I was quickly gaining the upper hand. People would often come and watch me battle her. I could play for an hour and one quarter. Sometimes I would build the free games up to 15 and then sell them. I felt like a pimp. (sighs) Oh, the time Super Straight and I had together. I would hit her ace through 10 and she'd light up her special. Extra ball was something, another technique that she used to tantalize and excite me. Eventually, she would let me shake her from side to side. And she wouldn't tilt. She was now easily overcome. I slowly lost interest in all the pinball machines. It was just me and her. Every day I would visit her for at least an hour. She never asked for a ring. Oh, the feelings my lady love brought in me. Sometimes, sometimes she would instill in me a feeling of rampant joy and happiness that I experienced only a few times in my life. Sometimes she would instill in me a feeling of euphoria, a feeling of conquering, a feeling of amazing power and control. Other times she'd bring me to my knees and give me a taste of my own mortality. (laughs) She could excite me yet leave me with a feeling of despair, both in the same moment, both in the same breath. She had a certain power over me, fate, and I hers, but neither of us ever boasted about it or totally humiliated the other. Who knows how long it might have gone on. But the relationship was to end. My proficiency slowly began to overwhelm her, and my friends began to violate her weaknesses, <laughs> and thus play her for hours on end. Revenues dropped. Management decided to find out why. <laughs> they adjusted her tilt mechanism. I can no longer shift her from side to side. I can no longer play with her for hour upon hour. I can no longer attempt to beat my old point record, which I displayed so proudly on her top. <laughs> now it was a struggle to win a few games. I cannot stand the anguish. 
I officially ended our relationship. She did not cry. <laughs> I still go back to visit her once in a while. I even throw in the old quarter. Initially, she responds in the same way. Her face lights up with expectation of what is about to occur. But after that, I cannot communicate with her. She merely strives to beat me. It was a wonderful relationship while it lasted. I have never had any regrets. She was my first real love, and she taught me many things. And yet, I have never found another that could fully take her place. This is for you, my beloved, super straight. Thank you. Some kids are natural optimists. They see the good in everyone. They look on the bright side. But other kids, well, not so much. When Amy was 10, she wrote a short book, and she called it Crummy Times, which is basically about all the things you probably don't want to have happen to you in the future. Please welcome reading Crummy Times, Amy. Uh, so this is Crummy Times, um, and as mentioned, this is the story about things you would not like to have happen to you in the future, a published book. <laughs> and yeah, it was dedicated to two of my friends, Colleen and Helen, but um, I see underneath there's an eraser um, that it used to say it was dedicated to my sister, Christine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isn't it crummy when you wake up and your pillow is gone and it's Christmas and you wish you had put one on your list? <laughs> um, isn't it crummy when you're um, doing a Christmas play at school, you're an angel hanging from the ceiling and the rope breaks? <laughs> isn't it crummy when you're at a concert, you're playing the trumpet, it's the loudest instrument there and... You play the wrong note four times. <laughs> Isn't it crummy when it's your turn to open a present from under the Christmas tree and your brother opens it on purpose and it's what you've wanted for ages? Isn't it crummy when you're on the computer, you're doing a big story, you do a big mistake, you try to fix it and you erase your whole story, it was 12 pages long and you think you have to do it again and you wish you would ask for help. <laughs> Isn't it crummy when you just wash your hair two times and your little sister takes a toothpaste and <laughs> puts it in your hair? Isn't it crummy when you're at the fair, you ask your mom if she can get you an ice cream cone, but she gets you the wrong flavor and she didn't even ask you what flavor you wanted? <laughs> Isn't it crummy when you buy a book at the fair, you read it, and you're at the middle of it, and the page ripped out, and you're at the exciting part? <laughs> Isn't it crummy when it's Saturday, it's supposed to be your day off, and you have to go to some boring swimming lessons? Isn't it crummy when you're at the end of a book called Crummy Times, and there's no more to read? <laughs> Thank you.
Am I the only one who feels like some of those scenarios may have been based on true stories? When Nicole was a teenager, she kept a live journal online. And at our Toronto show, she shared just a few of the more than 7,000 entries she wrote on LiveJournal. These were written when she was 14, at a time when Nicole was, in her own words, sexually confused. July 17th, 2001. I should be asleep, so this has to be Trey short. But spent the night watching Queer as Folk. Then some movie about two gay teenage boys. And then queer TV, and all of this has me wondering, what am I? I know I'm not a full-on girls-only lesbian, because I like Brandon Lee from The Crow. (laughs) So maybe I am bisexual, but I hope not, because that would just make things more complicated. I mean, the thought of a girl sexually grosses me out, but then if you ask me, would you ever do stuff with a girl? I would say definitely yes, I would. (laughs) Maybe I just think all this because I've never had a girlfriend, but then I've never had a boyfriend either. Ah, now on the radio they're talking about some book about gay life. Why is gay stuff everywhere? (laughs) The big topic in the house lately has become my sexuality. Mom and dad think I'm gay. I don't think I am, but then I do tell them how much I appreciate the homosexual lifestyle. I told mom I'm not gay, but God only knows whether or not she believes me. (laughs) Why would she? Not that it bothers me, because being gay is not an insult at all. (laughs) Anyway, tonight I'm going to hang out with this girl from my class named Adri. She's gorgeous and Wiccan. (laughs) June, June, June 28th, 2002. Today in the store, I saw a fishnet hoodie. I didn't buy it because I look stupid and things like that. Plus, it was a hoodie, a fishnet hoodie. So, like, you put it on and say, oh, it's raining. But that's fine (laughs) because I have a hood. The hoodie, I think, is actually a symbol of how confused the world is, not me, the world. (laughs) So I am now going to compose a poem. (laughs) The world is like a fishnet hoodie. Oh, whoa. Where, oh, where will the rain go? Uh, September 21st. Mood, nervous. My grandma is in the emergency room. Earlier today, she was at my house, and my mom told her I went to the Gay Straight Alliance at school. And my grandma said to me, do you want me to die? Or something along those lines? And I said, well, not really, but if you insist. But this was not supposed to happen. (laughs) Uh, March 11th. Today is the first day of March break, and I really need it because it's also the six-month anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center, March 11th. Oh, right, okay. Um, At lunchtime, some of us went to the library to go on the internet and see exactly what had happened, and the news was horrifying. I came home from school that day, and Mom was already watching the news, and we watched the towers fall. Then Mom took us to get haircuts. That woman has no grasp of human suffering. (laughs) Then the last one... uh, This was my first entry on the first day of 2002. Well, I'm back and alive. 2002 is here, so is a new world order. (laughs) 
There is so much irrationality and fear, so much fear. Where has our freedom gone? Dark clouds hang over us all. Will this test our humanity? Has it already? Me, lost, found, gay, straight, bisexual. What do I want? Love, boyfriend, girlfriend, definitely world peace, perkier boobs, smaller pores, and Doug. Oh, Doug, he probably never thinks of me anymore, but here's my fantasy. I bump into Doug somewhere, and he goes, Nicole, is that you? I go, yes, how have you been? And he says, still the same. And I go, me too. And then, then he finally says, we haven't talked for so long. Give me your ICQ number. Our next reader, Davida, shared a few excerpts from the diary she kept when she was 14. And the thing you need to know about Davida's diary is that it's organized a bit differently than most diaries. Whereas a lot of kids write their diaries chronologically, written day by day, Davida organized hers into chapters. And while some kids give their diaries names in the same way that you might name a pet, Davida called hers the Book of Boyfriends. Please welcome to our stage, Davida. Here lies Davida's Book of Boyfriends. Chapter 2, Sam. July 1996. Sam and I started going out at camp. He's my first real boyfriend and my first real kiss. He's a year older, 15. He's passionate about music, writing, the doors, and me. (laughs) Sam writes me poetry, very personal stuff, and we share, like, a lot. (laughs) He's beautiful, inside and out. More inside, though. (laughs) So sorry, Sam. He's brilliant. And something about him drives me wild. He gives me dried rose petals and talks about dedicating songs to me to be performed by his band. So hot. Chapter 2.3. Ethan. August 1996. That's one month later. Ethan is training for the army. What a body on that boy. I try not to let him into my mind. He gave me a silver half heart on a chain, though, and a long revealing letter saying that he wants to move from Israel to Canada just because he's so taken with me. I told him that he must not think about me this way, for I may never see him again. We haven't spoken since, but I'm pretty sure our paths will cross again, though I'm not at all sure how. Chapter four, Jake. December 1996. Jake is a keeper, all right. He's sweet and super nice. Our first date was our grade nine semi-formal. He's a bit taller than me with short brown hair, good hair. It kind of falls in front of his eyes. He's cute now, but he'll be gorgeous when he's older. He's sweet, generous. He cares about me. He's tall, cute, smart, funny, athletic. He's a good Jewish boy. 
my mom would want to. But something's not there. It's not in his kiss. My heart doesn't beat a million miles an hour when he's near. But somehow he's still special at the same time. Oh, I don't know what it is. It turns out that it was that Jake is gay. <laughs> I haven't seen him for a while. Maybe that's it? That's not it. <laughs> Jake is one of those guys who's just a comfortable old shoe when I want an exciting relationship. But still, I like him. He'll always be a friend. February 1997. Wow, everything just suddenly changed. It's like on casino night, Valentine's Day, I just fell in love with Jake. All of a sudden, from out of nowhere, it was Thunderbolt. I dream about him sometimes. The kind of dream where you wake up feeling like all good and gushy. I guess what I really like about him is how sweet he is without tossing around words like I love you and stuff. <laughs> He's cute and sweet and good at everything. Man, I really like him. If we ever break up, it'll be on his part. I'm so in love with him. <laughs> April 2007. Cheating on Jake felt really awful. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. Well, not during. <laughs> but, but before and after. Jake and I have been going out for four months. We have a great relationship. As for getting physical, well, we don't get a lot of time together alone. I had no intention of fooling around. I went to Toronto to visit some friends, and I saw Will. It felt so weird to kiss another guy. It should have been Jake. At the same time as it felt so wrong, it felt so right. <laughs> you know? Anyway, eventually I told Will that we shouldn't do this anymore, and he just hugged me for a while. It felt so good, but also so wrong. <laughs> After I told Jake what happened with Will, he forgave me right away. As long as it meant nothing. What a good guy. <laughs> he said and did sweet things, and I realized how much I really needed him. It's so hard to leave him now that summer's here and I go back to camp. Thank you. Wouldn't it be great if we'd arranged for each and every one of those guys to be here tonight? <laughs> kind of a meet and greet? That would be fun. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live in Toronto at the Transac and produced by Jenna Meisner. Music by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. We have a bunch of upcoming live events. For all of the details or to sign up to read, check out our website, grownups.fm or use the link in the show notes. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.